Please be seated. I'm still feeling the effects of Thanksgiving Day, which is kind of a nice thing. I hope you are too. Truth be told, for me, it started on around November 9th or 10th because on a couple of levels, imperfect though our politics remains, some things happen that I feel cautiously grateful for. I mean, a little bit of balance has been safeguarded and by a growing chorus of voices who deliberately crossed a line in the sand, crying loudly as they marched, we may not know the answer to the question question what is truth, but we know what it isn't. Best of all, that chorus includes young people. Isn't that exciting? That's what really has me feeling hopeful in terms of our movement forward. And this is great timing, hope being the thing that gets reborn into our midst each year with the Advent season. Making that connection also has me noticing what it feels like to hold together the rhythms of worldly power systems with the rhythms of the faith experience. And this year, more than ever, I feel the kind of energy that, given even the littlest bit of encouragement, wants to expand. For example, here we are at the start of Advent which is clearly oriented toward the New Testament and the coming of Jesus. And yet it doesn't take much effort at all to find resonances from the Hebrew Bible that harmonize with sacred anticipation. And this affirms for me that what we call the Holy Bible isn't so much a book divided into discrete theological halves as it is a library of many books best taken all of a piece. Because by approaching the content with an integrating eye, pardon me, interpretations can begin to cross over into each other's territory. So that what comes into focus is not only how the power systems of the world connect with the power systems not of the world, but the realization that what's happening in the world today has been happening throughout the entire history of the world like a broken record. Most of the Bible is a story told by people living under conquering superpowers. It's a story written from the underside of power, an oppression narrative. People living under the domination of massive empires, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and then through all of the New Testament, the Roman Empire. And then, fast forward to 21st century America, and you'll find the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. So how is what's true of empires then true of empires now? Well, empires accumulate wealth and resources, which inevitably leads to devising ways to protect them. And that becomes a vicious cycle. The US controls more than 20% of the world's wealth, and correspondingly, humanity has never seen a military machine like the American armed forces. 
The vicious cycle is driven by worldly power systems. Add to that how in these modern times, pretense has been elevated to an art form, so that from behind a relatively thin veil, gigantic power systems have been meticulously reshaped by a shockingly tiny minority. Reshaped into mechanisms that have very nearly perfected the circumventing of checks and balances and all the other safeguards developed by the majority to prevent imbalances of power and the criminal injustice that results. Ancient empires were also based on the use of slavery and the threat of torture or deadly force more tools designed to keep the accumulators of wealth in power. But in this day and age, outright enslavement, torture, and deadly force have been switched out, replaced by half a century or more of refining the most sweeping and comprehensive process of purchasing legislative power at our nation's helm. Seriously, it's another of those cognitive dissonant realities. An emperor's new clothes kind of moment where you could be forgiven for wondering, am I the only one who sees this? And yet the ruse persists, and elected legislators for the most part serve the minority of end runners rather than voters, the vast majority of whom realize what's happening, but in one way or another have been prevented from developing sweeping and comprehensive processes in response, you know, end running the end runners. The system isn't working. There has to be a better way. According to Jesus, the poor will always be with us. That certainly applies to the poor in spirit. There will always be subsets of end runners, and other subsets will forever be in the business of designing corresponding power systems for the sake of accountability, as though better power systems would be what makes everything okay. To me, that's a little like saying my child's education is the sole and exclusive province of the school system and teachers. So the question becomes, where do accountability and ownership meet? Which I think is something of great interest to Jesus, and here's why. About that day and hour, no one knows. What if no one knows? Because in Jesus' way of thinking, it isn't at all about that day and hour. It isn't about some other time and place. And it never was. Because it's always been about you. And it's always been about now. What if Jesus is far less concerned about what your preferred future looks like than he is about what it feels like to you? And not in the future, but right now the point of power being in the present moment. Two will be in the field or grinding meal together, and one will be taken and one will be left. Is this actually about field hands and millers being bodily removed? I'm not sure. I suspect it has more to do with a taking up in spirit, becoming so aware of your interior state 
that that day and hour no longer uses up any of your spiritual capital. Because who you are in the present moment becomes so completely aligned with loving purpose, it's as if you now live on a higher plane. Don't you think that's what Jesus is sort of about? If as many of us as possible were to shift our focus to the present moment and being completely aligned with loving purpose in the world, wouldn't there be a much greater chance that the increased number of enlightened individuals would have to, by sheer force of numbers, make an impact on power systems in the world? The gratitude and hopefulness that I'm experiencing around this starts with those young voters and the increase in their numbers. And finally, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. P.S. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. So the Son of Man is the thief. Jesus apparently is coming to steal an awful lot of what you thought was necessary for you to feel that everything is going to be okay. He's stealing that part of you that says, I can only feel okay. I can only know safety, belonging, and feelings of being loved when things are normal for me, when my routine is in place, when all the signposts that make up my tribal identity are intact. I can only feel God's presence when all the creatural elements I know and love are where and how I need them to be. When all is right in the world, only then can I know God's presence in and around me. And it is certainly the only time I can bring God's presence into the world. Taking our form gave Jesus perfect understanding of the human condition, gave him experiential awareness of the complexity of the emotional state and even more how it finds its genesis at the cellular level and how a huge amount of historical coding comes into play. He's aware that as significant as personal trauma or adverse childhood experience may be, there's even more to it than that. There's tribal history and even more history than that still influencing us. But overarching this for him and it could be for us too, is that there's even more to us than all of that stuff put together. And Jesus is brilliant about it. He knows that sharpening your spiritual tools, becoming more spiritually conscious, is what it takes for every one of us to build wider avenues of opportunity than the narrow ones that are built by fear. He knew that his listeners in the Gospels were subject to all kinds of fears regarding safety, belonging, and love because of power systems gone rogue. And I think he's just as aware that we in the 21st century are negotiating an even longer human history of coding and adverse experience. I, to quote Marley's ghost, it is a ponderous chain. 
And yet, he still doesn't come out and say all this stuff in crystal clear ways. He stops well short of spoon-feeding us, which means we have to work for what he's offering, which may be his most brilliant move ever. Because by having to work to attain his level of understanding, everything is enhanced. The experience becomes richer. The quality of the ownership is strengthened. We value the understanding that much more, and by extension, the positive loving impact felt in the world as it all expands. And I guess maybe none of this can happen if the gift is just sort of given to us freely. His love is given to us freely, that's for sure. But it's like if he suddenly gave us worldly power structures that were entirely just, how long do you suppose that would last? I think that God knows that until enough people personally attain to levels of understanding that align with loving purpose in the world, those loving temporary power structures would be just that, temporary. So hey, the good news is we get to begin this journey all over again today, together. First Sunday of Advent. So keep coming back. It's going to be a great season. Oh, I'm not going to tell you that if you come back here next week, you'll definitely get the brass ring. But you might get something like it. And probability being what it is, repetition can increase your chances, I suppose, until one day you will get it. And what is it? It's that wonderful feeling of readiness when it bubbles up inside you. Or when you stumble over it and you're reminded that it's always been there. And then, at last, a day will come when the thought that follows is this. Now, what the heck was it that was even in my way in the first place? A blessed Advent, one and all. Amen.